watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Best and Worst of 2017 Countdown. As always, I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we're going to take you through a little tour of our favorite movies of 2017, and some of the movies that disappointed us the most um, this year. Yes. I said worse, but really it's most disappointing. This was a decision that Rebecca and I made mere moments ago. (laughs) Everything today is very off the cuff. Yeah. yeah, We're we're, winging a lot of things. We are winging it. Which is doing it in the style of Deborah Winger. (laughs) Right. Not not Steven Weber. Uh, Yeah, I know. But I mean, I can try to bring, you bring Steven Weber energy and I'll I'll bring bring the Tyne Daily. And I'll bring the Deborah Winger. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. I think that's been our dynamic all along. I think it does. I'm so wacky. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so um, steely. Yeah. How would we describe Deborah Winger as steely? Steely. Yeah, I would go with that. Okay. We can stick Um, with that. So 2017 is about over. Um, I am surprised that we're here. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak too soon because as we're taping it, it is the afternoon of December 30th. So we still have a day and a half to get through. Mm. Uh, So I don't want to like count my non-nuclear destroyed chickens before they hatch. (laughs) But it seems like we're going to do the unthinkable and make it through the year. I feel like there have been a lot of um, challenges. Yes. Um, yeah, I, f- I uniquely feel like there have been a lot of challenges. Does anybody else feel that way? This has been a weird year. Guys, you might think you've had it hard, but Rebecca's had it harder. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but we, um, right now, here's the thing. The internet um, is still... Um, not regulated to a degree where you can't listen to this podcast. I yes. wonder how much this will cost that you won't pay next year. <laughs> There's that. Um, it seems like as of like a minute ago that the trans ban in the military is not going to move forward. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's a report that the Trump administration dropped their um, that they dropped their appeal because you know there mm-hmm. was a it was struck down by a court mm-hmm. as it should have been. And they were going to appeal it, but then they apparently have decided to drop that appeal. And uh, and um, trans people can once again uh, join the military if they so choose. I, be, I believe beginning January first. I think the next uh, the next move there is to go ahead and draft trans people into mm, the military, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the. Oh God, you're probably right. That yeah. is probably what they have going on here. Mm-hmm. They're like they're like, oh well, <laughs> you want to serve so badly. Well, let's just go ahead and make it compulsory. Mm-hmm. It's oh, just the, a lottery. Uh, compulsory conscription of trans Ameri- trans Americans. Well, so much for any positive feeling I had about that. You're because welcome. that just has What that, else you got? That I feel like there's probably like a Black Mirror episode about that in the in the season that just dropped. Oh, right. Yeah. There's that to catch up on. There is that to catch up on. Uh but you know, we all we all made it through the year. Uh it's been I feel like an uncommonly long feeling year. There are some that fly by, <laughs> and there are others that just crawl. And, and I think we knew by like a week after the inauguration, what had already felt like six months had, had passed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was six days that we knew it was going to be a long one. And here we are. And you and I passed a milestone and, and a gallstone. Um, <laughs> it was weird how we timed that. It was very strange. We hope you couldn't hear it on the show while it was happening. <laughs> um, but we passed our hundredth episode uh, milestone last week. Mm-hmm. And our fifth hundred fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was, they were both, I felt very good about both of them. Yeah, they were both, I mean, yeah, I, yeah they were both wildly successful. Yeah, they both speak to <laughs> our, our practiced ease with one another. <laughs> so there's that. Um, Rebecca, any highlights of your 2017? 
Um, you know, personally, it's been a year of a lot of growth and change. Um, I switched careers. My where I live is is changed. Um, how I spend my time, um, other than here with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm your constant. You are my constant. Mm. You're my rock. Oh, thank you. Likewise. Uh, I mean, by default, not by choice. Right. You're um, like my rock. I mean, you weigh me down. <laughs> You're the rock stone in my pocket, Virginia Wolf style. Um, uh, that said, um, it's been a wonderful year. Um, in spite of constantly being afraid, the anxiety, the um, uh, general malaise, the sadness, it's been fantastic. I've mm-hmm. had a really great year. Um, how about you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm actually, I'm surprised. Looking back through the year, um, the only way I know how, which is looking at my Instagram posts. <laughs> Your top um, nine? Yeah, I have been, I have been shocked at what an amazingly fun year I've managed to have in spite of everything. Uh, so, um, you know, and we'll... Oh, suck it. Yeah. 2017. Right, exactly. I had fun anyway. Fuck y'all. Uh, I mean, you know, I got to go to Sydney and... And, uh, and, you know, I went on a bunch of fun little trips throughout the year. And there was, of course, the Reese Witherspoon thing, uh, which mm. I'm not, I didn't actually do. I'm not doing a top nine post on Instagram this year because whenever I looked to see what my top, you know, what my top nine were, numbers one through three were each different versions of that big little lies Reese Witherspoon really? post. So, yeah, it was like one was like my regram of her regram of me and number two was like me taking a screenshot of her commenting with three stars and the third <laughs> one was like my initial post so i'm like okay i get it like everyone is just using me for this and i, I i'm good with that i'm good with that <laughs> um you found your purpose in 2017 mm-hmm. exactly so really without reach with a spoon my year would have been a, a, a you know, smoldering shit pile and so mm-hmm. all thanks to reach with a spoon for making the year worthwhile yeah i feel like halloween was a really good um slice of what this year was i feel like for me it was a year i finally got to do what i have been wanting to do for a long time Mm, that's right which is kind of the theme of this year um just just getting rid of um feeling like you can't do stuff and Mm. just doing it um you know pressed on because you think the world is gonna end but you know it's like a midlife crisis but in a global scale and for you that's meant a lot of catholic fetish porn like tons Mm -hmm. tons yeah yeah. Um, which so is amazing. those are our, our, our big headlines for 2017. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and we again are thankful for each and every one of you listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, without our listeners, then we would just be sitting here fighting for no reason. And <laughs> which uh, is what we do after, which is show. what our friendship looked like before the show. <laughs> and we don't need it to go back to that. Uh, so thanks to all of you. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best in 2018. And uh, we plan to keep uh, coming to you every week with our squabbles. Mm-hmm. So um, these are the movies uh, this year that we, for the most part, agreed upon uh, to be the best. I think there are two. Um, there's one point of contention. Yes, and it's a surprise. It is a surprise. Guess which one? Dial <laughs> um, nine now. Um, and but we'll get to that one as it comes along. These are in. Alphabetical order, we, oui. which is important to, to note, and they're not in any particular rating. Yeah, which I know that everyone likes to have like a ranked number and likes Ugh, to hear a number. That is so unnecessary. It's art. Guys. It's like, do you have do you have time for one movie? Is that the issue? Do you really only have time for one movie, and that's and we need to know? No, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, um, and uh, so and I'm there might be a few where I where I discuss maybe this is actually my number one, but for the intents and purposes of this 
recording. Um, these are just alphabetical. We love them all equally. Yeah. Minus the one that Rebecca is going to shit on. Like, <laughs> and um, yeah. Have you ever been on a date where someone's like, what's your favorite color? And you're like, what are you, seven? Like, what am I going to rank colors? That's ridiculous. You've been saying this a lot recently on dates, haven't you? You know, come on. <laughs> and, New, York, uh, New Yorker gave you 31 questions to ask me that are very important. You're like, just give me the Vanity Fair Proust questionnaire. So obviously that so it's difficult? green. Yeah, like, yeah, just ask me the James Lipton questions at the end of Inside exactly. the Exactly. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite curse? <laughs> You're like, well, give me a minute. So after we get through these 10-ish of our top movies of the year, we will have uh, another 10 that we selected as our most disappointing, which we will qualify a bit more when we get to those. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but starting off... With our best movies of 2017, uh, going alphabetical, the first of 10 is The Big Sick. And I will say, this was a surprise for me that this is still a year-end mm. contender. Mm-hmm. Because I think when we watched this, this came out in June. Mm-hmm. And when we watched it at the time, it was like, oh, that's a perfectly pleasant, charming, um, thoughtful, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think that this is, you know, there's definitely a a theme that pops up in a few of these movies on this list where like, it helps that it's 2017. Right. Yeah. This movie is a movie of a time and it captures, uh, this year and it's all of its complications and all of its successes, um, very well. And, you know, there are different movies at different times that do that either really directly by showing, um, the time we're doing it, you know, through, uh, like a metaphor, um, this year, it's been like pretty kind of on the nose, I think, with the representation of the issues that we're having. Um, but that said, you know, it doesn't make it any easier to make it about, you know, what it's about. Yeah. I think that that holds it up to further scrutiny. Um, how well does it capture it? You know, where does it drop the ball? Uh, what could they have done better? And this movie doesn't really have a, a, a place like that. No, and to be clear, we are not just going to be including movies in this top 10 because they have added relevance in 2017, because there are a number of movies in our bottom 10 that also have added relevance in 2017, Mm -hmm. but we still think are shitty. (laughs) So, but The Big Sick, uh, you know, I think that it's the kind of movie that in hindsight, you look back at it and you're like, wow, that was just a really perfectly crafted thoughtful sweet sort of you know dramatic romantic comedy mm-hmm. and uh you know it of course uh stars uh Kumail Nanjiani uh Holly Hunter mm. in uh in uh, what is sadly I think the only acting performance that's going to get uh, recognized throughout award season in the supporting uh category but the big sick has actually emerged as a best picture contender really yeah like it's actually making most shortlist for not to win but to be nominated. Wow. Which will be a big win for Amazon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Although it's also, it has the sort of ignominious uh, sort of uh, dual consideration where it is considered a best picture contender, but no one is putting Michael Showalter on their director shortlist. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, So it's the kind of thing where everyone's like, yeah, as a movie, yeah, absolutely. What it represents and and just how how well it's crafted and, and how much heart and soul it has and uh, but the direction is pedestrian. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> so all, all due respect I to mean, Michael Showalter. Fair. Yeah, which is totally fair. And yeah, I mean, this is just, uh, you know, and it goes without saying, these are all movies that we think that you all should watch. Yes, absolutely. This one is both the comedy in comedy and the romantic in romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember at the time you said that you felt it really captured that kind of the beginning of a of falling for someone of getting yeah of getting to know someone mm-hmm. and um that that you i feel like you fall along with them um and then quickly get caught up in 
your own life and what it's like to have to confront things for the first time and you know under the lens of somebody else's eye and mm-hmm. what kind of decisions you make very relatable and even though it's like a very unique story that you know immigrant family and that unique tale but at the same time the the underlying you know fears are universal right and also uh you know does the very important work of presenting a completely normal human depiction of a muslim family mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which remains something that is direly lacking Mm -hmm. uh, in most uh, film and television, certainly American. Uh, So for all these reasons, we love The Big Sick. Uh, If you haven't watched it yet, you can stream it. Mm -hmm. It's available to rent your own. I believe it's also on Amazon Prime because Mm -hmm. it is an Amazon title. Uh, And that brings us to our second movie, which is BPM Beats Per Minute. Ooh, BPM. This was uh, this is going to be the one that's the probably your favorite movie of the year. Am I wrong? You know, I don't know that it's my number one. Uh, it is my favorite foreign film of the year. Mm-hmm. That is for certain, even though there's another one in this list. Um, but yeah, what do you think of it? So BPM is one we took a look at recently. Um, it's the story of the um, AIDS first. <laughs> Make France AIDS free again. What's the name of that group? You say AIDS first. AIDS. Talk act, back. Act up. Act up. <laughs> act up, Paris. This movie really stuck with me. Um, it's the story of <laughs> Act Up Paris. Uh, maybe you could just summarize this one, Jason. <laughs> just give a quick. Sure. Uh, so yeah, so BPM uh, takes place in the early '90s in Paris. It's about the activist organization Act Up, mm-hmm. uh, which, as I said, <laughs> like Rebecca said, and uh, and it's essentially a story about about activism, about community within activism about a population of people that are fighting as hard as they can to keep existing, to survive, to get the resources and attention that they deserve from the government, from healthcare groups. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's both a very personal story because it's sort of, we Mm -hmm. have this sort of love story unfold between a new member of the group and one of its sort of leading activists. Uh, But also it's very much about the collective, and uh, it's that rare activist movie that is really about the power of the group rather than the individual. This movie was almost the opposite of um, our most disappointing list in that it was surprisingly um, impactful and poignant. Um, this movie feels real, in, even though it is, you know, it is scripted. Uh, it has a documentary feel to it, um, which has been a, kind of a theme in a lot of movies, I think, this year. Um, that either were documentaries and I didn't know it or weren't documentaries and I also didn't know it. Stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie, um, I, I think that it has a very um, European way of being, you know, uh, simple and direct, um, but incredibly um, heartfelt and sincere. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, this, uh, it's a movie that just sort of pulses with life and uh, in a way that is incredible when it can be captured in a film considering all the moving parts that it takes to make a movie when Mm -hmm. a movie can actually just feel so effortlessly alive uh it's such a rare thing and and i think a big part of that is the fact that it doesn't feel overly sentimentalized Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a huge piece of it and of course that's a very french piece of it uh but you know if this were an american film about the same subject uh which granted there have been similar films notably ryan murphy's hbo adaptation of the normal heart by larry kramer uh, but that also was sort of more of like a rugged individual story, which, yeah, which was like, very American. Take this story to, yeah, yeah, yeah this is definitely has um, a more broad mm-hmm. approach to this. Yeah. 
and uh, and uh, so it's it's really and the the greatest injustice about BPM beats per minute, aside mm. from the injustices that it depicts, is that it somehow got dropped from the Oscar shortlist for best foreign language film. I wonder how that possibly happened. These fucks. I am okay. furious, furious that this somehow got dropped, and it, it made it made huge entertainment news when it happened because it was presumed to be the front runner in foreign language film. This was it was the runner up at the Cannes Film Festival this year, uh, behind uh, the Square, which mm. which ultimately did win the Palme d'Or. <laughs> um, but you know, Pedro. No Alma- wonder you didn't like the Square. But Pedro Almodovar was you know was I believe the jury president this year at Cannes. And he was was in tears when they announced this uh, because he was so upset that BPM wasn't taking the top prize. Hmm. He, of course, you know, as a gay man who was very much in the epicenter of that, uh, you know, while it was happening throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, So but and this is another case where, you know, it's not just because it has added relevance in this year, a year where activism has become so much more prominent in American life. Uh, it's just genuinely a great movie, and you know I love it completely. And this one right now is still in theaters, so it's not a- available to stream yet. Um, but I look for it in a theater near you. And that brings us to our third film on the list, which is "Call Me by Your Name." Ooh, shocker! Yes, I know we're <laughs> we're just sticking staying as gay as possible. Right, that is um... our brand. That is our brand, and uh, and and we're the only people to talk about this movie at the end of the year. No, I can't. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, we, so we don't. I mean, there really isn't so much to say if you. <laughs> about we, this. Review, we reviewed this fairly recently. Rebecca is still shivering from uh, from the peach incident. From being called out about mm-hmm. it is really the thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, movies um, received a lot of attention. Um, it is uh, Army Hammer and Timothy Sh- Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Um, Chalamar. <laughs> in the uh, uh, film adaptation of the book. Uh-huh. You're like, and that's all I got. And that's the movie. No, uh, of uh, young Elio and his family summering in uh, the beautiful Italian countryside being visited by Oliver, played by Army Hammer, and uh, the tale of first love. First love. Um, in, as the... in a bucolic setting. Mm-hmm. And, and first loss. First loss of love. And I have seen more and more of sort of like loudmouth gays in my Facebook complaining about this movie. About the lack of sex? About the lack of sex, about the lack of penises, um, about uh, about just sort of like, you know, like, these guys aren't even gay. Uh, hmm. You know, this is about a bunch of obnoxious bisexual men. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, because we do see Elio does have sex with a, with a, with a woman uh, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that, uh, you know, Oliver has a scene um, sort of romancing a woman as well. And uh, and I certainly didn't draw that conclusion that they were, that was meant to suggest that they were bi. It seems like you know that's for Elio. He's seventeen. It's a journey of discovery, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and we see that you know although he has sex with a woman, that does not mean that he uh, is sexually attracted to women. And uh, you know, and for Oliver, it seemed like it was just a matter of keeping up his cover, being closeted. Right. Yeah. You know, Elio is too young to really understand the concept of the closet at that point. Mm-hmm. He's just figuring himself out in a very sort of open, non-label European way, <laughs> because he's just that kind of fuck freaking with Elio. ridiculously understanding parents. Ugh, the worst. Uh, and you know, we've been rewatching a movie we'll talk about later, Lady Bird, quite a bit. And really, between uh, his role as Kyle in Lady Bird and Elio in Calling By Your Name, Timothy Chalamet has cornered the market on just pretentious twats <laughs> this year. Yeah, on both ends. Um, really? Uh, yeah. The, like the super um, kind of douchey side. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then the um, really vulnerable side yeah, as well. Yeah, like but... the really, you know, they are both likewise entitled. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and privileged. And, uh, and uh, but, you know, Kyle, and they're both kind of, uh, yeah, because Kyle's whole thing of, you know, I'm really trying to participate as little as possible in our economy. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to live by bartering <laughs> alone. Uh, and then Elliot would totally say that. So oh, I feel yeah, like what absolutely. I'm saying is that Elio and Kyle should get a room already. <laughs> you want to see that uh, Timothy Chalamet? I, I would watch some Chalamet on Chalamet action. Yeah. I would. I would. Uh, so that's Call Me By Your Name. Uh, it is, it, you know, it is just, it's just a breathtakingly beautiful romance. I feel like the backlash is inevitable anytime that a movie is as acclaimed as this is. But I just don't find it to be especially people who are trying to discredit the queerness of it because it's directed by a gay man. It's mm-hmm. written by a gay man. Um, and so I just feel like who is anyone to be like, oh, well, you gay men didn't make this movie gay enough. Right. <laughs> or like, like, what, you... what gay life have you led that like it's only been one experience that you've right. had a very singular uh, um, moment your whole life without a journey involving, you know, loss and understanding. Yeah. I don't know. That's, so that's, as always, what I'm saying is calm down, gays. Uh, <laughs> as usual. As usual. Call Me By Your Name uh, is still in theaters, so check it out on the big screen while you can to bask in all that gorgeous Italian countryside. Mm-hmm. Our next film is going to be where we diverge Ooh. yes so i'm gonna say my pick and then rebecca is going to rebut me as she so want to do uh, we're gonna say them at the same time one <laughs> two three and then she is going to tell you what her alternate pick is okay. um for this spot in the top 10 and guys i just found out moments ago because she just got around to watching this movie and i am still shook that she does not like it and that movie is the florida project um yeah i recently watched the florida project which uh you gave uh, uh binge it we interviewed um, sean baker you interviewed sean baker uh i mean i think that this might also fall into the expectation list um having really loved tangerine last year um and expecting the same sort of treatment of a group of people um out of the Florida project that he gave to trans sex workers in LA um, during uh, last year's Christmas rump uh, tangerine, and mm. I felt like it. Uh, I felt like it didn't deliver in the same way. I felt like this was more of um, a movie about a type of people. Um, so my alternate pick for this spot. Well, we're gonna talk more. About oh, we're gonna it. talk yeah. more about it. <laughs> we'll um, come back I just to wanted this. to to close out bookend this part is. Yeah. Um, a movie that Jason did not put on the list, which is uh, Okja, uh, the Netflix movie um, yes, with by Bong Joon Ho mm-hmm, and uh, starring Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal. The um, made-for-Netflix movie um, about uh, the giant, super big, created to uh, save humanity, um, and the story of the young girl who loves that pig and will go to the ends of the earth to uh, save him. Are you choking up? I'm getting a little emotional. You guys, you might remember Rebecca described her experience watching Oksha as one of her top five life cries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you stand by that? I do. Absolutely. Have you, have you had a bigger cry since then? Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. I don't think I. I don't think it's going to happen again for a very long time. <laughs> her um, body literally cannot produce enough tears. No, no. And I. I mean, I had a little bit of breakdown this week. I. Uh, uh, had in a moment. several senses yeah yes <laughs> um and not even not even close this movie um really touched me um so i don't know maybe you're touched by humans maybe you're touched by <laughs> super pigs 
There's a little something for everybody in this top 10 list. It really is funny how like how looking at the Florida Project and Oakja side by side tell people everything they need to know. Right. I mean, about like, us. Yeah. I, to me, the, like the loss that this girl experiences of uh, the innocence of being able to have this thing that she she loves more than anything. This girl who is so smart and so sweet and works so hard and like you watch her come to understand losing a pet and losing your innocence um and and by seeing this pet go through the the uh, animal you know i don't know ingestion process of being and 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 seeing what happens and and even going through the whole cycle of uh, this pig being you know made famous and being manipulated by people and adults all over around you. You guys might, if you haven't seen Oksha, it, the idea is that the pig, the super pigs have been bred to be a food source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then the sadistic nature of the direction <laughs> dictates that it also be the most adorable thing you could ever sit, possibly imagine seeing. Exactly. And that's girls raising the super pig. But of course, at the end of the day, they're going to want to slaughter that super pig. So on the other end, you have the Florida Project, right, which, which is, is also about a little girl in in a loss of innocence in a way. Who is? But Rebecca just finds the little girl annoying, and so she hates this it. This Little girl is fucking terrible. These girls, these are they're like homeless. I mean, you're like, well, like, <laughs> I hate this movie for how it makes me. Me? I feel like this movie did not do that. They did not unlock the empathy um, uh, sp- spark in me at all. And it made me way more judging you than I should be. I hate myself. I hate this movie for that. It really unlocked her inner conservative. It held up an ugly mirror back to herself. And she's not thrilled with the, with what she saw in that mirror. This, if, do, you, do, you li- do you like grading the sound of like screaming children and, um, and, and women yelling for two hours this movie is for you um literally turn the volume down and watch the subtitles of this movie this is and this is what she did are like okay so i mean this is very clearly these are the children to me the girl in okja no friends only follows this animal around barely speaks is only speaks when spoken to is like the kid that i'm like yes that's what childhood was like like that is what it is and this kid is like who i see myself in and like i am taking me through the ringer the the girl in florida project not those 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 kids were like the bullies to me i don't know i i didn't i do not identify with i do not feel like they had a particularly interesting um uh I feel like the other important thing about this movie is that last year we reviewed uh, American Honey, which made it on uh, our top 10 list as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that movie opened up uh, a similar population um, of these sort of like, you know, transient kids who were like selling, um, subs- and that, ma- that movie was magazine subscriptions here. It's like off-brand perfume. Mm-hmm. But they're... Um, but of course, and those kids were a lot older. Those kids were. Uh, those they were, were kids the in age their late of, teens. Uh, the, the mom in this movie. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Um, and I don't know, it, that movie sort of... Um, it didn't feel like... What's it, what, what do you call like torture porn, but for poor people? Of, of poor people? Torture porn. Torture porn. Um, <laughs> where this movie is just like just keeps dry, like putting you through the ringer um, with. I mean, basically, it's just a countdown until when child services comes. Well, that's one way of describing this movie. If I mean, that you, was like eight ways of describing if, this movie. If, if you're an unfeeling, uncompassionate monster, then that's one way of <laughs> the describing this movie. Second time I've been called a monster today. Just gonna put that out there. Go on. <laughs> so and you know if you guys listen to the episode about florida project previously you already know how i feel about it but uh you know to me 
it, I just didn't feel any of that at all. I didn't feel any judgment for the characters. I didn't feel any dis, dis, like disgust toward them or any sort of distaste. Um, I felt like, you know, it's a very honest sort of another verite documentary style depiction of very real people. And I think, you know, maybe it has to do with where I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania. But I feel like there were tons of kids around us who were basically in the same kind of hidden homeless uh, category of existence as the characters in this movie. And yeah, those kids were very rough and tumble. But it's because th- they're honestly terrible. Oh my so god! They- You're like they bring it on themselves. <laughs> no, no, I'm not who, calling them responsible who would give, who would for give them it. Home? I'm, <laughs> I mean, that is what the woman at the one hotel says. All right. Um, I mean, the kids are, you know, they like they're yeah, they're 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 borderline feral, but it never lost me because I felt like the kids were just. It made me think of the resilience of children in the sense that when you're a kid, you have no idea, you have no context for your life, you don't know how good or bad you have it. And these kids have no idea the struggles that their parents, usually just mothers, are going through to try to just keep a roof over their heads. And we also, so we see it from the kids' perspective, they're just running around in their sort of like imaginations, uh, imagining, you know, this wild, fun, free life. Uh, and, and then we see, you know, the mothers who are on varying degrees of the responsibility spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but we also... The main mother is played by Bria Vinate, and uh, and in a role that's that's been particularly polarizing for a lot mm-hmm. of audiences, mm-hmm. because the, you know there was a temptation to judge her because she's pretty trashy, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but it's also being compassionate that like she is very very young, and she is raising a whole human being by herself, and she's living in a motel room, and she is having to fight every week. It feels like. The central conflict in Florida Project is literally to just continue to exist, to continue mm-hmm. to survive. Like, can we go on living? Can we maintain the tiny shred of consistency and stability that we have living in this motel room? In spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. Uh, you know, but also, it's not like, well, I feel like there's, I didn't feel like, Oh, they're they're the ones who are going to uh, you know get themselves kicked out. There's the ongoing tension with the property manager of the motel, um, played by Willem Dafoe, mm. because it's not meant to be. It's not a residential motel. It's meant to be a motel for you know for travelers passing through, and instead it's you know it's something that is very much a reality, which is you know tran- yeah these are transient families who are staying in these very very cheap motels uh, in lieu of being able to acquire any other housing. And they are scraping by. And Willem Dafoe's character uh, is sort of like the bastion of, you know, he's sort of the audience surrogate in the movie because he he's the one who really has to suffer uh, at the sort of juvenile behavior mm. of his um, guests, such as they are. But he also has compassion for them and their experience. However, he's trapped in a tough spot because the owners of the motel are very much opposed to the idea of letting people stay there indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, uh, you know, so he is constantly on the verge of having to remove these people and, you know, and basically throw them back out on the street because, you know, he's between a rock and a hard place and he can't override the wishes of the ownership. So I guess I just felt like, you know, for me, it was a movie about people. I thought it captured a lot of truth about people. I think it's a movie rooted in humanism and compassion it didn't make me feel any sort of negative feelings for its characters. I mean, I felt like sad for them because they were making poor choices at times, but I didn't feel like judgment, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yes, the judgment thing is something I'm not very proud of, and that probably isn't something for everyone. Um, and maybe because, I don't know, I, I also know that these people exist. Um, it just seemed very, um, by saying like it's honest and real, it just seemed like an excuse to paint this picture of people in these this ongoing series of unfortunate incidences. Um, and I, it didn't wasn't quite clear sort of what the point was. I don't know. Um, I didn't feel like, like with Tangerine, I think that the, the takeaway was like, this was a movie like by and for a certain community. And it felt like, in that movie, it felt like the community was represented and respected. In this movie, it felt like it was exploitative of the community oh boy. in a way that... Um, like by pushing the continuing to push um, how the, the bad decisions and the and the hard to em- empathize with or um, uh, find compassion for the the harsh tones uh, of the main characters, I felt like um, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't feel like this was coming out of, of a, a story of about proud people in a way that I feel about, like American about proud people of, of proud people in a way that I feel like American Honey was able to capture a sense of like pride in a community that other people would would be judgmental of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I I feel like the I think the thing about Florida Projects is it almost sort of challenges audiences to be like, do you just want to say these people don't deserve to exist? Because they sh- they they are they're allowed to exist no matter how shitty they are, and so it's sort of like the mere. Are you, are you asking me? <laughs> You're like, because you know, we'll I'm stick going to you, you know say Here, we'll, that pig has to die. We're circle back on this. Um, you like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, Viva the pig. Um, justice for pig. Justice for super pig. Um, you know, because I think that you know this movie is basically saying like these people exist on the margins of society, and no matter how much you do or don't. You know, I don't mean you, you, I mean like the collective you mm-hmm. do or don't understand about them or respect about them. They deserve to exist. They deserve to be able to live and have access to housing. And, um, and uh, you know, I feel like Sean Baker, again, as he did in Tangerine, has found a story about people on, you know, on the margins. And I don't think that Tangerine was easy for everyone to watch. I think that maybe, you know, you, meaning you personally this time, you know, were more amenable to that one, but possibly because of the, the communities that depicts feel closer to your heart. Mm. and or your experience also uh, there was more to it like there was the whole like that you know uh 24 hour kind mm-hmm. of um uh adventure right well yeah um, it that, was a, it that was drove a farce. the story yeah um i mean maybe you know you are a big fan of um the housewives shows and things so like two hours of of children screaming might not upset you as there much as it upset me. There aren't a lot of children screaming in the Housewives I mean, shows. They're mostly kipping the sidelines. You know, but... just like a bunch of like petty yelling um, was really, I have a low tolerance for it. That's fair. Uh, so really it's, 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 it's an aural, A-U-R-A-L, uh, a problem for you, which is why you turn the volume all the way down and just watched it with uh, subtitles. With subtitles. Um, so. I will say, I mean, I was also a fan of Oksha. I, you know, I, I, I thought Oksha was, was remarkable. Uh, and so I am not opposed mm, to, mm-hmm, to that mm-hmm, pick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I do think that it was a surprisingly, given the many ways that it could have just been a, it, on paper, it's a deeply weird and off-putting mm. idea and story. Um, and yet it is surprisingly shot through with such, again, such compassion and humanity, um, despite the fact that you have two tildas looking crazy yeah. as fuck. <laughs> you have Jake Gyllenhaal styled like a, like a crazy weird. old-timey villain. Yeah, and um, then you have the super pig who is like uh, really 
adorable in mannerisms, but also kind of off-putting in the way it looks. Yeah, and also when you like, just when you know what it is too. Leathery pigskin. Yeah, and a thing that was bred in a in a, in a lab to mm. feed people. Yeah. So you know, so yeah, yeah. movie of shockers. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's let's reconverge that, on yeah, the rest of these movies. We will. We will. The Florida Project is still in theaters, mm-hmm. and Oaksha is available on Netflix exclusively. Mm-hmm. Our next movie. Get out. You. You get out. You. <laughs> Do we have to actually even explain this movie? Who has who? Quick show of hands. Who doesn't know what Get Out is about? Anyone? 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 Okay. Yeah. Nobody. No, you were oh scratching your ear. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know this is if there is a movie of 2017, it's Get mm-hmm, Out. Mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. it just is. Um, and it at this point, I feel like it's well positioned to quite possibly win Best Picture. It even captures a bit of uh, 2016, Absolutely. which was a little bit, bit, which was a little different than 2017, because 2017 had a bit of a um, more global fear, right? Where there's a lot more like nuclear war fear and like global warming fear about the the changes that were happening politically. Well, 2016 was still a uh, you know a, an almost American specific fear of. Um, police brutality mm-hmm. um, and you know just sort of the rise of, of racism and right. all the sort of buried um, troubles that we have that are now mm-hmm. coming to light again uh, a lot more clearly to a lot of people because of the election so right on the cusp of those two you know local level terrible global level terrible get out comes right at the right time yes and you know it's a it's an example of how <laughs> well you know it does make me think about how you know, so we certainly saw a lot of prominent people of color come forward after the election last November to say, like, we're not as surprised as the white people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think that even though Jordan Peele in writing and directing Get Out was making more of a vision of sort of the illusion of Obama era post-racial mm-hmm. harmony. Uh, and, you know, he was sort of jumping in to be like, this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm going to make this very clever horror parable about uh, just this idea of, yeah, of like, you know, post-Obama, post-racial harmony between, you know, white and black people in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's be let's be very real about what that relationship still very much is and in some ways could insidiously have worsened during the Obama presidency just because mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. sort of like the figurehead illusion of like, well, we have a man of color leading the country. And so surely, you know, that means everything is peachy keen. Right. Or the resentment that it's built, it has built, been building mm-hmm. up in, um, right. in part of the white community. Which in, is what we America. really saw come out in the election. Yeah. And so it was so effective both in the era in which it was written and then also in the era in which it very creepily foretold, which mm-hmm. is the one we now live in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, the thing about Get Out is that it delivers a message um, that is very necessary in a way that is um, interesting and as you, as you said, clever, and um, you know, it doesn't spoon feed it to you, um, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, this movie is both interesting uh, in terms of, like it would be a great short story, um, and the acting is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. We have um, Daniel Kaluuya. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Allison Williams, mm-hmm. Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, Caleb Landry Jones, Lil Rel Howery. Wow. Uh, yeah, and we're ready for that one. We've been we've been rewatching um, uh, or watching for the first time, really, the Carmichael Show, and oh, yeah. uh, a show that doesn't get enough credit because it has both Lil Rel Howery and Tiffany Haddish, mm-hmm. who play uh, who play like a separate uh, an estranged couple on the show, and they were two of the biggest breakouts of the year mm-hmm. uh, in this film and in Girls Trip. Uh, but uh, but you know, I think that with uh, 
you know, Get Out is really well positioned for award season. Uh, you know, it, it has a, it's a contender in picture, in director for Jordan Peele, in lead actor for Daniel Kaluuya, uh, in original screenplay. And, uh, and one key piece of writing on the wall is that, so for the last 20 some years, no Best Picture winner was not also nominated for Best Ensemble Cast at the Screen Actors Guild Awards mm. because the acting branch is the biggest branch of the Academy. And, and there's you know, quite a bit of overlap between SAG and the acting branch. Okay. And uh, so this year, and last year actually, uh, and this should have been a bigger piece of foreshadowing than we realized at the time, La La Land didn't get an ensemble nomination, oh. but Moonlight did. Oh. So that was really uh, what should have been the first sort of like, you know, tip of the hat that that upset was going to happen. Mm-hmm. This year, the only three actual major contenders uh, for Best Picture that also got that nomination are Lady Bird, Three Billboards, and Get Out. Ooh. I mean, let's like hope. Like Dunkirk, Dunkirk didn't get it. The Post didn't get it. Calling By Your Name didn't get it. Now we know. It's been narrowed down to three. Apparently, unless unless it becomes the first break from history in 20-some years. And we uh, also saw what happened last year the first for the first time in 20-some years, which yes. was uh, Oscar mishap. Yes, and uh, and we also saw how happy the Academy was to pat themselves on the back for giving Best Picture <laughs> to Moonlight. So they want to give it another go. Um, and, uh, and this time they want to do it without having a couple old white people fuck it up <laughs> and uh, forever taint the win of that historic film. Um, I think that there, I, there was nobody, I, I definitely spent, uh, the weeks after, um, watching Get Out, you know, evangelizing, telling everyone to go see it. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. And they're important. like, oh, no one else is talking about this, really? <laughs> <laughs> I know, everyone hates me for some reason. Um, there's, yeah, there's absolutely no reason to watch it at this point. It's available to stream at home. What? Do you say there's absolutely no reason to watch it at this point? Oh. <laughs> See, the inner conservative years really was awoken by Florida Project. <laughs> there's no reason to have not seen it at this point um, because it's available on streaming. It was able to open people's eyes in a way that they, to an experience they may not have known was, was happening. Yeah, and a perspective by sort of, you know, doing this, this yeah, this clever horror storytelling mm-hmm. where you're embedding this commentary into what's just a thrilling narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think this would also make Get Out would be the first um, horror film to win Best Picture since The Silence of the Lambs. Oh, wow. Um, which also... Isn't that a thriller or is that a horror? Well, it's kind of it's kind of on the cusp because on The Silence of the Lambs if, is really... Uh, it's kind of a horror film. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you... Yeah. It's sort of like it really crosses over into that very like just dread-filled, gory horror mm-hmm. uh, uh, side of things. And I believe, if I recall correctly, Silence of the Lambs also was released really early the year that uh, it came out, just like Get Out. Because normally, when we're talking about Best Picture, we're talking about movies that were released in the last three, four months of the year. Mm-hmm. Get Out came out in February, I believe. And here we are. And we're still talking here about it. And we're going to be talking about it still for the next few months until the end of the Oscars. So, And, of course, it made our list, as did our next film, Lady Bird. Lady Bird. Um, we also recently reviewed this one as it's still in theaters. Um, Lady Bird, the Greta Gerwig, uh, directorial debut. Um, another show of hands who hasn't heard of Lady Bird? Um, who's surprised at this one? Um, sort of semi-autobiographical story of, um, a Lady Bird, high school senior trying to make her way out of Sacramento and into the big city while dealing with, um, the teenage relationship with her family her friends, um, hating everybody and everything. You know. As you do. As you do. 
And uh, I will say I have watched Lady Bird something like four times wow. in, the, in the last week. You have week. an ability to do this. And to be clear, I'm not just saying I'm watching it by myself. It's because it's Oscar screener season. And um, if anyone's listening, I'm kidding about all this. Um, <laughs> but I've been, you know, watching it with different friends uh, who have wanted to see it. And I am always excited to watch this movie. Wow. And and I got to tell you, this is actually the one I'm talking about when I say this might be my favorite. Really? Because I've watched it now so many times. I've seen it probably grand total six or seven times. And <gasps> I think it's perfect. Like, wow. I really... Because you know, as, as you may have heard, as I think we talked about in the show, it broke the all-time Rotten Tomatoes record uh, for mm-hmm. the most, uh, the most uh, f- uh, fresh votes. Um, it held at 100% with the most fresh votes for a very long time, up until some asshole came along right. and uh, gave it its first negative brought it down which i think is also remarkable not just because like it broke all these records but it broke all these records in spite of the fact that it's like directed by a woman written by a woman it's an indie story mm-hmm. of a woman so it's like um all of these categories that you know the critic industry historically um is not the most welcome with them. I mean, if it was like the new clint eastwood movie it was like oh i got 100 percent on rotten tomatoes it might not be that big of a surprise yeah, yeah. This is an uphill battle to get this kind of uh, award. I mean, look what happened with Ghostbusters, like in terms of like online um, response to, to mm-hmm. oh, you know, a woman director being successful. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I think it's amazing that there weren't more male trolls coming out of the woodwork trying mm-hmm. to destroy this movie. Uh, and uh, I think that it is it is just, you know, I guess if I had to, you know, ding it for one thing, it probably would be the fact that it is pretty solidly white. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And Sacramento isn't like the whitest place. No. Uh, but, you know, but I think it's it's the story of, you know, this white girl. And Greta Gerwig is telling her own story. And so I think that that is above board. You know, and we do have Lady Bird has an adoptive older brother uh, who is a man of color, as is uh, and his girlfriend's a woman of color, uh, Shelley. Miguel and Shelley. <laughs> like you don't know at this point, right? Exactly. Uh, Shelley, who is giving us Rachel True, the craft realness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so strong. So strong. And this movie is just, uh, you know, I was watching it with, most recently. I was watching it two nights ago uh, with some friends who hadn't seen Wait, it. But you're watching it right now. Is that I'm a TV actually, behind me? Don't, don't turn around. And, uh, and you know, in the, as the film began, you know, my friends were laughing and laughing and like, oh, this is so funny. This is so good. But then as it moves into, as it makes those sort of those, those, those steps into a more emotional, poignant place, uh, it does it with such mastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so disarming because it feels so true. And that's a testament to Greta Gerwig's writing and her directing prowess and to the brilliant performances, first and foremost, of Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf. Mm-hmm as well as the rest of the cast. I mean, this is really exciting in terms of um, what is yet to come from Greta Gerwig. Um, when you have a directorial debut, this yeah. fantastic. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a tough spot to be in. You know, it's a lot of expectations. But I mean, she was kind of, you know, she basically co-wrote and co-directed Francis Ha right. with Noah Baumbach. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, yeah, I think we're all excited to see what comes next from her. And this is a movie that I will continue to watch and rewatch the rest of my days and will always enjoy it. It might be my number one of the year. Uh, and that is Lady Bird, which is in theaters now. What do we have coming next, Jason? The seventh movie on our best moves of the year list is also foreign and also a horror allegory. And it is raw. Mmm, raw. Not Eddie Murphy raw, <laughs> but no, the, the, the vegan cannibal allegory raw. 
This was uh, a shocker. Yeah, yeah. And this is one that, you know, that I had previously seen the year before when it played at TIFF, ding, in 2016. But it was released this year theatrically, and so it's going to be on this year's list. This is another one of those movies that, like, every time that I watched it, I was more and more enamored with it. This one really took a bite out of you, huh? <laughs> Oh my god! Oh god! Uh, boo! And because uh, I think this is one that when I first saw, it had been really talked up to me by one of my colleagues who had seen it at Con. And so when I saw it at Toronto, I was like, okay, I mean, it's good. Um, because I also mm-hmm. like no one should ever tell me anything is good because I will be dead set against that thing, um, which is hilarious because all I do in my life is tell people that things are good. So because <laughs> well, because a, people are complicated, <laughs> people are contradictory. Uh, but, you know, so Raw is a French horror comedy about a young woman who goes off to, she graduates high school or whatever they call it in France and um, goes off to veterinary school. And she comes from a very strict vegan family. We see that her family is insanely protective of her and very concerned that she's going to do something. What? We don't know. But they're very watchful. She's an older sister. You know how parents can be. Mm, they just don't understand. And, uh, or as a French would say, ne comprends pas. and she's an older sister who's also in the program. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then she is shocked to find that her sister went away from her parents is a wild child who eats meat and gets drunk and gets crazy, sexy, wild at parties. And like you do in veterinary school. Like you do at vet school. And, uh, and then sort of one thing leads to another. And, um, and in a surprising turn of events, our protagonist discovers that she has a, a quite an insatiable taste for human flesh. Mm. Wah, wah. And uh, so the whole thing plays out like a really, really genius allegory for the experiences of sheltered kids when they go out into the world. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a common story. And uh, it was surprising to see it happen uh, in France as well, because what I've heard, French parents are very permissible. Uh, but, but in this case, we see that her parents are not. And uh, and so we see what happens as a result of that. I feel like there's a mashup of Call Me By Your Name and Raw that needs to happen. <laughs> like Elio. Yeah, because she gets nosebleeds in this, too. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Ladybird gets a nosebleed. Oh, did that, did that happen to you when you were a teenager? Did you get nosebleeds? Um, not often, but you know, but when Ladybird gets it as she's losing her virginity, mm, and uh, you still haven't. So, oh, right, exactly. So I'll let you know when that happens. But um, I, I did not, and I, I have never really had nosebleeds. But I did, I did have a couple of friends in high school that used to get them. I wonder what that is about uh, the so teenagers. My brother, my brother got them all the time. He had to get his nose cauterized. Oh God! Yeah, is it just like an open wound? <laughs> right, exactly. It's like took a took a torch to it. They just burned, they just, they just burned it off. He, anyway. looks, he looks like Voldemort now, but <laughs> that's his story to tell. Uh, so anyway, so Raw, uh, you know, I remember we went and saw this at, uh, they had a screening for it at the Alamo Draft House in the Mission. Mm. And um, oh, yeah. and I watched in, in, in mirth as Rebecca ordered tons of food. <laughs> <laughs> Too much food. Really. <laughs> and then sat there mm. facing her pile of food while watching this very unappetizing movie. Yeah, it's very, uh, very graphic, very gory. Is the, I believe, was it the hairball scene that almost killed you? Oh yeah, that was pretty gnarly. Didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, I mean, you just watch this journey of this uh, woman, you know, getting more and more uh, comfortable eating different things that you, you and I would not. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a, it feels like it's also, you know, as, as much as Lady Bird feels like a really brilliant, evocative portrait of a mother-daughter relationship, that's the kind of sister relationship we have in mm, Raw. Yeah, definitely. Even though we have this very heightened um, circumstance involving, you know, eating people. 
uh, just the nature there, the relationship between this young girl and her older sister is so convincing and mm-hmm. so brilliantly acted. And, um, you know, and as the story goes on, it starts to feel sort of profound and, uh, you know, it is, it's somewhat gory. It's not as gory as it's gotten a reputation for. Um, but there are certainly scenes. There's the hairball scene that pushed you far, this and I believe is one our friend. That, um, people like left the theaters. Yeah, this. There were, there were. They really were drumming up. They were trying to get a lot of like publicity going for this movie, saying like, "Oh my God, it's like a gross mm-hmm. out. You're going. People mm-hmm. are fainting. They had. They, they gave out barf bags at our screen. Oh right. It. Yes. 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 This is. A, they tried to mother this one. They tried to mother this one, and uh, you know, and there is you know, and you for you and our friend Amy, it was the hairball scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, it is, uh, the, the finger, f- it is the finger. It's the chicken winging, I believe as you called it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't watch the movie. You'll know what you're talking about. Get in on this chicken wing. Just, just, just the, yes. There's, there's a scene where she chicken wings, a severed finger. Does and, this, uh, severed and, finger, uh, thread take us to where next movie as well? You know, um, oh yeah, I guess it does. Interesting. So, uh, anyway, that's a wrap on raw, which we, <laughs> which we love and, uh, and it's available to rent or own. And that brings us to another movie featuring severed fingers um, that are in some ways far more disturbing than what we witness in this. Mm-hmm. Although, if someone were to chicken wing these fingers, oh my god, re- oh, Brooke is going to lose it. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. That movie is an otherwise charming fable, The Shape of Water. Guillermo del Toro's newest flick. Um, it's a story of a woman played by Sally Hawkins um, who is mute and in the 60s in Baltimore works as a cleaning lady inside a government uh, scientific facility, along with her friend um, Zelda, played by... um, Octavia Spencer. uh, Brought into the facility is, um, I believe you called it Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. A man... Oh, wait. uh, Amphibious amphibious man um, who is being uh, tortured and and sort of uh, studied by the facility and and the head security officer, played by Michael Shannon... The Amphibious Man and um, Sally Hawkins' character, Eliza, fall in love. Yes. And this is one that Rebecca had not seen when we reviewed the movie, but now she has seen it. Mm-hmm. So I just want to hear what Rebecca thought. I mean, I feel like you couldn't have nailed, hit the nail on the head any more, um, any more clearly than by saying, Amelie fucks Swamp Thing <laughs> is really what happens. You it have is. the like... Um, preciousness of amelie you know the innocence of someone who's like a little bit outside of society quirky winsome mm-hmm. they even play the score also yeah. has like a parisian concertina kind it, of vibe going absolutely. on absolutely and there's like all this like you know tap dancing um do you also think this is this year's la la land yeah <laughs> yes yes when they had that cutscene, um <laughs> and i was i was watching it with uh, my girlfriend she was like yeah it's like del toro was like okay la la land but with a twist Ryan Gosling is a swamp creature and I'm a so creature. Is he allowed to save jazz without everyone getting angry? Can he do it? Is that okay? That's the difference. Yes. And I would say I watched this movie uh, a few nights ago with some friends and um, and they did loudly yell, what is this fucking La La Land? When it gets to that particular scene, mm-hmm. there, let's say, there's, a, there's, a, there's a movie musical homage that happens in an unexpected moment in it this really movie. It really does. We'll just say that. You know, over that kind of forced dinner you have when you're about to break up. Right. <laughs> but uh, We've all wanted to sing and dance in those times. I think one of the things I asked you was like, does it look Del Toro-esque? There's that, you know, it's a little bit, everything's a little exaggerated looking. Everything's a little brighter. Um, Everything looks like um, historical. Um, It almost has that feel of, mm, never mind, I'll skip that. Historical. Um, And then you have it 
paired up against this uh, love story um, mm. who I found the sea creature. Uh, so I call it Amphibious Man because I did also have the subtitles on and there's a point where she's like looking at him and in the subtitle is Amphibious Man Coos. <laughs> <laughs> Which if you... If you Interesting were... C-O-O-S, not C-O-O-Z-E. Exactly, right? C-O-O-S. She's an Amphibious Man Coos. <laughs> Which is... You're okay. Keep Which is, yes, absolutely. That you unfortunately have to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making you use real names. Sorry, guys. Um, but what a, it was a very interesting uh, set of cues from uh, the closed caption because how would you know what an amphibious man cooing sounds like at all? Um, right, exactly. Just picturing all these like you know, uh, like hearing and challenge people being like, "Well, I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to sound like. <laughs> Give me something." This is a movie like I feel like you need to watch it with somebody at home because there needs to be a lot of these moments where you're like, "What? I what? Like, I mean, okay. First of all, yes, I see what she sees in him. Um, he is fine. He is pretty cute. He is Bay. Um, but like, it's a weird relationship that like is um they they bond over hard boiled eggs and jazz. <laughs> it really is La La Land. It really is La La Land. <laughs> exactly. Ryan Gosling's character brings the jazz. Emma Stone's character brings the hard boiled eggs. <laughs> She was she was nothing if not a hard boiled egg as a character. Exactly. Uh, Michael Shannon's character, as we mentioned, with the with the finger, uh, he loses his fingers early in the movie, and then they get reattached. But throughout throughout the course of the movie, they, he's they, they don't to, take. Yeah, his body rejects the fingers, and as he loses control of the situation that he's in charge of, and and his his care of this of this monster, he also loses control of his, his fingers as they continue to um, Turn black. die. Yeah. Uh, while attached to him and, and grow putrid. And however disgusting you're thinking it is, it's worse. It's worse. It is fucking disgusting. Um, but it's an interesting little thing that, that he carries through him with him throughout the movie that is otherwise unintrusive, but like when it comes out is like so powerful and really, really takes takes over the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, my only criticism about this movie yeah. that, you know, we didn't get to talk about at the time is um, they really paint his character in the like the broadest of strokes he is every type type of awful you could be right he's mm-hmm. he's racist he's um you know he's misogynistic uh, exactly but he's but sexist at the same time and yeah second the sexual uh harasser uh he's you know unspeakably cruel to this creature and there's really no he bleeds into his wife's mouth while he has sex with her i mean i, I, I was kind of like a weird peach moment in that situation mm. it's like a call me by your name mm. peach throwback but um but yeah, so I thought that was kind of Michael Fulbright's there too. Was, um, he was so good in this too. That it was hard to uh, understand that, that uh, see a character painted so clearly as you know the bad guy. Um, and I, I've, I've heard, I've had some other, I, th- I believe some people at the Craig Circle voting meeting were talking about that too, saying that Michael Shan's character is kind of the ruination of this movie in some ways mm-hmm. because he is such a you know we have the character of Eliza and and uh, and the character of her neighbor played by Richard Jenkins who we haven't talked about. Oh right. That was one one thing that it was that I thought was interesting. I think I remember you having a lot uh, to say about it and all I could see was like, wow, this gay guy just loves talking at this woman who can't talk back and <laughs> oh he just fucking God. loves to talk about movies <laughs> and all the shit that he knows about all of the but then she needs help from him once, and he like doesn't do shit. And he's just like, shh, 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 look, Barbara Stanwyck. Right. He's like, I'm not. We're not having this discussion anymore. Like, now, now come with me while I like ogle this like mean straight guy who works at a pie shop. Exactly. Um, we so, all know this gay guy. Some of us better than others. Some of us host podcasts with him. 
Um, I oh, found shit. him <laughs> a little unbearable. Except he's the one who has cats in at this movie. The end, I mean, at the end, their relationship is very cute, and it's not the worst thing. But at the beginning, I was just like, this guy is, uh, oh, I know this guy. He's the worst. <laughs> You're like, he's the one who lent me the screener. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, welcome to your future. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> in a, it, you know, so, but yeah, so the character, his character is richly drawn. Eliza's character is richly drawn. Uh, Zelda maybe a little less so. I believe mm. as you as you hilariously pointed out, she just Alex walked- Spencer could very easily have just wandered onto this set from Hidden Figures set and and changed nothing. Not even from the set from the movie. Like from- she was like going for the bathroom in that other building, and then she walked into the wrong building, <laughs> and, and then like, into oh, this I, building. I guess I work here now. It's the same. It's government building, same time and place. And of course, in the help, despite not being a government building, was also in the sixties. Mm, so yeah, Octavia yeah. Spencer is all the way uh, typecast mm-hmm. at this point. I did think that she, I did do, I thought that she brought a little bit more dimension and shading to her character in this movie than she had in uh, in Hidden Figures. Yeah, I really liked um, the fact that she had to speak for Eliza a lot, kind mm. of um, allowed what I think would be normally a, a side character to have a little bit more um, depth depth in her interpretation of of what Eliza means, mm-hmm. and um, and to see how this character. Um, how her character gets treated um, by yeah. Michael Shannon as well. You know, I think that this, it, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, this movie is so, it's so perverse. It's so shockingly violent at times, but it's, it's hard. It's just a genuinely sweet romance. Sorry, I just remembered. I just remembered when uh, Michael Silver gets uh, what I would call baited. Oh. <laughs> Baited and hooked. <laughs> Rebecca did. While I was saying how sweet it was, she did a dry heave face. <laughs> I, <did. laughs> I mean, you you forget, right? Like, right. there's uh, some really Toro, shocking things that happen in this movie. Del Toro's other movies can be really scary, yeah, um, and this but is not this scary one is a little bit more. Well, I do feel like the Michael Shannon character, the one thing um, that his you know uh, intense you know, evil uh, way mm-hmm. did influence the movie was that it it did give me that sort of like anxious feeling of like there's a, a monster coming there's yes. a bad guy coming and like right. it made that it really powered that through where oh, maybe yeah. if he had been more it's suspenseful um well drawn out i wouldn't have had as much fear mm-hmm. um so in that he is like literally he's a human but he's the monster right um which did you catch that in the opening yeah. narration yeah and the monster that right and yeah. the monster that almost broke them apart mm-hmm. yeah he's the monster guy spoiler alert i mean he is such like this sort of you know, he is cliche, but, you know, he is almost this sort of like, you know, Trump era embodiment of every, I'm sure, because I mean, if, you know, if our president was a character in a movie, people would say that's not believable. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's true. And, uh, you know, so Michael Shannon is sort of this, like this, this horror, this grotesque embodiment of every piece of like early 60s toxic American masculinity rolled into one thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but yeah, it, it, but the other characters are more nuanced and uh, and he is less so. And so he just gives it his usual Michael Shannon gusto and whatever. But it's a sweet romance. It's not as scary as Del Toro's other films. No. It doesn't try to be scary. Um, it's sort of a, yeah, it's like a romantic drama slash thriller. Cold War era story. Mm-hmm. We have Russia has a role here. So we have that connection as well. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's so weird. Yeah. Um, and you will be surprised, I think, along the way a lot. And now, what happens. And now that you've seen this, who you got for Best Actress? Um, I still wouldn't go with, with her, uh, mm-hmm. with Sally Sally Hawkins. Okay. Um, I don't... That's a good question. I, I still want to go with Frances McDormand. Yeah? Yeah. So The Shape of Water is in theaters now. Mm-hmm. Our ninth movie is the only documentary on our list, mm. which is Step. This is another one that I am outraged about that did not make the cut for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. 
I I just I don't know who I just I'm just like was everyone else watching a different movie than we were because the movie that we saw we fell in love with with our entire hearts yeah this movie tells the story of a group of people that needs to be told the journey you watch these characters go through so the 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 dedication it takes to go through like you know right. following these high school students around right. so we're focusing mainly on three uh three black teenage girls in baltimore who are all uh in a uh in this in a step program one of them started they are all entering they started it as freshmen and now they're in their senior years and they're standing on the precipice of their futures and seeing what is available to them and the ways they can change the patterns of their families and um, you know the the sort of the cycle of poverty to break to hopefully break through and to you know just break that mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so you see people who are struggling um, with homelessness and not being able to pay bills. Uh, oh, this kind of sounds like the Florida Project, but. Um... You're like you're like you see you're like this is this is why it's important to be likable. That's what Rebecca's saying. <laughs> um, which these characters are incredibly likable. Um, you watch them try to do the things that I think that like you know a lot of you know middle class people take for granted, which is trying to get through high school, um, doing extracurricular activities, and and getting to college. Um, but with all of the any of these girls have all these expectations on them. They're part of this program that's like set up to succeed. But they have these obstacles of their personal lives and their family lives that are, are, are going to get in the way. Right. And not to mention the larger systemic things mm. that are in their mm-hmm. way. Of course. Uh, and I mean, you know, to me, this was, and I'm not one, you guys might know if you listen to the show, I'm not one for inspiring movies. Um, but my issue with inspiring movies is usually you feel them laboring to be inspiring and you feel that, that contrived sentimentality. But every bit of emotion and step I felt like was completely earned. Mm, yeah, absolutely. and uh, and I felt like it really dove deep into the complexity of these young women, and uh, particularly the sort of more or less lead, uh, whose name is Blessin, mm-hmm. uh, who we meet as this gorgeous, effervescent young woman, and then we watch as her sort of inner saboteur, as RuPaul would say, gradually almost takes her entirely out of of her own life. Uh, and uh, I just thought that it was it was an example of um, a, of a documentarian following a story and that story really paying off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in a way that you wouldn't be able to predict um, coming into the story. No, no. It doesn't show these families in a way where, um, you know, you're supposed to necessarily feel bad for them or they're, you know, exploiting their circumstance. Um, you see you see clearly, you know, the, the very human responses, you know, like Blessing's mom has to being afraid of letting her go and letting her succeed that is you know uh, a lot of parents have but you see how you know she much she loves her but her her fears are, are actually inhibiting um blessings uh, ability mm-hmm. to succeed um right yeah lady bird might have been this year's best scripted mother-daughter relationship mm-hmm. but this presents three of the best unscripted mother-daughter relationships absolutely each, each completely unique yeah um yeah this movie is is a really insightful um view into families um families who are dealing with uh yeah struggling with systemic issues um imbalances and but still like is is a really fun way of looking at teenagers um mm-hmm. who aren't terrible <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh you had a few other documentaries you wanted yeah. to shout out here as well some honorable mentions there were some good uh good ones that really stuck with us one was dina um, the documentary that made a fool out of me because I thought it was a scripted movie um, until well, I think we were reviewing it. 
Um, yes, that was that was. Go back and listen to that if you want to hear Rebecca's big uh, aha moment about Dina. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a what a treat that was. Uh, the story, um, neurodiverse woman, uh, uh, sort of. It looks and feels and plays like a romantic comedy, like a scripted romantic comedy. And then, uh, but then Rebecca found out the hard way that it was <laughs> that it was not that it was actually a documentary and uh, just about this really one of a kind uh, woman who. Uh, is on this sort of romantic journey, um, but uh, has to sort of reconcile uh, this uh, her marriage with the sort of her demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one we uh, looked at this year that really hit us was unrest, um, and that's the story of of a of a woman who has chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. I believe this is a different term for it that they prefer now, but chronic fatigue syndrome is another way of of of, of referring to it which I'll always remember those words exactly because of the Golden Girls episode about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but this was, you know, in terms of a documentary that sort of introduces the viewer to something they were unaware of and does so in a really visually captivating way, uh, in a really thorough sort of intellectual way, uh, but never losing sight of like just the core human interests of the story. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me personally... Um... I had a moment where I realized that I, you know, had some weird biases about the this situation um, that I do not deserve to have and are ridiculous. And this movie is, does a really good job of introducing yeah. Yeah. you. We're talking about Unrest, not Florida Project. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, someone's sassy at the end of the year. Um, this is because I'm rested. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, if you don't know a lot about chronic fatigue or you, uh, think you know, but you might not know, um, this is a, a definitely a good, um, a good explainer, um, and really paints a picture for this, yeah. the situation that these people are in, and invisibility, um, yeah. and, you know, living these shadow lives, um, in, in pain. And even if you aren't interested in learning about chronic fatigue syndrome, this is still a very gripping movie that I think has something to teach all of us around just like the private struggles that people experience mm-hmm. that none of us have any idea about. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so it teaches compassion and uh, that is the best thing art can do. Mm-hmm. That brings us to our 10th and final best stuff pick this year. As Rebecca hinted earlier, it is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I think this one, if, if I had to pick would mm-hmm. be my top of the year. Yeah. Um, Frances McDormand um, leads this charge as the mother of a woman of a as the mother of a girl who was recently uh, raped and killed in their small town. Um, she is fed up with the police's inability to solve the crime or take any action. And at the beginning of the movie, we see her renting out these three billboards um, with a message, um, basically asking the police why haven't they done anything. Mm-hmm. And then you see the town's reaction. Um, this small town where everyone knows each other, uh, the chief of police played by Woody Harrelson, um, who everybody loves. Um, this is addressed to him. Uh, there they go back and forth. The town sides mostly with him. We see her ex-husband in the picture, her relationship with her, her son who's still living. Lucas Hedges also in Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the, just it's, the way that they're all trying to deal with this, uh, an undercurrent of racism in the small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just escalating battle back and forth between Francis and the cops that mm-hmm. just sort of each, you know, it's just this, they get locked into this grudge match against one another. 
uh, until, you know, somebody has to, you know, take the high road or somebody has to put themselves in the other person's shoes. Set themselves on fire. Set themselves on fire. Set someone else on fire. Um, and so this movie is both uh, a an action film, um, a story of uh, a woman's crusade mm-hmm. um, to do anything she can to try to get justice for her daughter. Vigilantism. Um, right. It's a bit of a comedy. A huge <laughs> bit of a comedy. It's uh, shockingly funny. Really funny in a lot of places. It's uh, loud. It is exciting. It is, uh, say, Extre- for the hundredth time this year, ambitious. Extreme. Uh, unlike anything you've seen before, um, you have Frances McDormand is basically a badass superhero. She is a warrior. Um, and I don't know. This movie has a lot of heart in some places. Mm-hmm. This movie was a weird mix of everything that's, that should not have worked, but it works so well. Yes. And this is one, basically when I think about my number one, the three titles I think of are this, Florida Project, and Lady Bird. And, uh, and the thing with this is more than those other two, this has gotten the most polarizing critical reaction. And mm. that has befuddled me. Mm-hmm. I just don't get people who don't love this movie. I don't understand it. Uh, and you know, and, and, and one of them is our recent guest host, Ingu Kang. I uh, hates this movie, hates it, hates it, but she hates a lot of things. We love Ingu, she hates things. <laughs> she hates us. She hates us, yeah. Uh, so you know, so three billboards to me, uh, you know, as an, as an original screenplay. Uh, you know, I remember that thing you said about how it felt almost like an update to a Clint Eastwood story. Mm, yeah, being able you to know? see like yeah, it's like a feminist update to a Clint Eastwood story where the female lead actually still gets to be every bit as sort of like ravaged as Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't turn. It's not like Sandra Bullock playing this role. You know, Frances McDormand gets to just be every bit in her physical self uh, at this point in her life playing this character, just, just not giving any fucks, kicking teenagers in the nuts left and right. Just like you want to do those little kids no, in Florida Project. No apologies. None. Like, this woman has nothing left, really. Yeah. Um, and it shows. And just being, a, like, a person on that end of the extreme, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. the Clint Eastwood characters are because they've, like, you know, lived such hard lives or they've already killed so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, she's done. She's over. She's had one mind and uh, mm-hmm. she's going to get what she wants. And it's it's really amazing to see. And I think that, you know, in that way, it's also the movie of this year mm-hmm. uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, this year has also been about people sort of feeling like, okay, well, justice isn't going to be done by the authorities. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be done by the government. And so we have to take matters into our own hands. And we have to be the ones who who bring justice about and who try to make things right and restore things to their proper order and uh, and pay attention to, you know, uh, slights and grievances and crimes that are being glossed over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, uh, and in particular in this story, not only does it have that national relevance, but also specifically as it pertains to Hollywood, uh, mm-hmm, since mm-hmm. you know we haven't mentioned it at all. But of course, the biggest story this year in Hollywood was you know the Harvey Weinstein bombshell and everything that has followed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we have in this, you know, we have a woman whose daughter was raped and who is out to avenge that uh, in a in a boys' club world. Yeah, I mean, just like just seeing her take action against a police system that is both you know known for being incredibly racist in this movie. Um, and, um, you know, just the failings, failing mediocrity, sub mediocrity of these like white cops who do nothing, um, just taking it to task and highlighting it and, and taking action in their own hands is, yeah. uh, was, is very relevant. And, and, and do I think three billboards is a perfect movie? No. Uh, I think we talked about in the original review has a few marks against it. Just, you know, a red herring that is a little messy. 
you know, I, I am not one of the people who thinks that the Sam Rockwell character is a problem. I don't either. Um, but, uh, but I think there is some, uh, there, there are some choices made, uh, in the final act that are a bit puzzling from a writing perspective. Uh, but that I still like the good so far outweighs the, mm-hmm. any sort of like questionable elements for me with this one. Yeah. Um, I love it so much and, uh, and I'm happy to have it be closing out this top 10 best films of 2017 on our list. And this one is also still in theaters. It is still in theaters. Go see it. We have a lot to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry for all the assignments. We'll wait for your reports. Um, so I think we talked a bit about, um, the looking at the bottom li, bottom of this list for this year we went with most disappointing over worst because yeah. worst what is worst you know you probably weren't going to see it anyway for the most part unless it was like something that somehow snuck up on you um you know at this point in the year at least you know unless it's out now and you haven't heard already yeah. um it just seems kind of pointless and um beating you know beating a dog a dead beating a dead dog beating a dead horse <laughs> terrible jesus uh, yeah and i know that i think people what people love about worst movies of the year list is the bitchiness people mm-hmm. just love watching and cri- we're not bitchy people yeah, we're just not we're sweet people uh you know people <laughs> love watching critics go ham on terrible movies and uh, and you know and we did that enough through the year uh, for movies like The Book of Henry. Mm. Uh, the fuck was that? Which you know Baywatch, Pirates mm. of the Caribbean. You know there are you can go back and listen to those reviews if you want to hear us go in on those movies. Um, Unforgettable with Rosario Dawson and All Catherine right. Heigl. You know so there were a few, but really what we want to talk about are movies that we found disappointing. These could be movies that we found disappointing because the buzz ahead of them was so strong. Because of the people involved with them. Our own buzz. Our own buzz created around them. Um, And then they just, for whatever reason, were not the films that we hoped they would be. And uh, and at least one of them is actually not out yet, uh, which we'll be reviewing in a later episode. But we're still going to shit on it now. Let's go for it. What do we have? And uh, these also are alphabetical. uh, And it's going to kick off with Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Did you ever get around to watching this? I didn't actually, um, you know, sometimes I, I don't get a chance to see the movies at the time like you, um, with you, um, and there were definitely others that I had needed to catch up on, such as, uh, Girls Trip, which we didn't talk about, but that was amazing, mm-hmm. um, and a movie that I saw, I was able to catch up, uh, with on a plane, and, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing again, even Ugh. though it wasn't in our top 10 list, um, so good. It, needs, it needs to, there needs to be another place in there, because, I know, I know, it's tough, shout well, out for Girls Trip, yeah. Big shot for Girls Trip. If it was a performances of the year list, Tiffany Hash would definitely be on that top Absolutely. 10 list. And she deserves an Oscar nomination, Justice for Tiffany. So Baby Driver is a movie that was a victim of overhype for me. Uh, it came, it premiered at South by this year, and everyone was shitting themselves over it. It's a latest from Edgar Wright, who previously made uh, the World's End uh, trilogy. Uh, he made uh, a Scott Pilgrim. And, uh, and to me, Baby Driver was just, and I think I said this at the time, it is Drive. It is Drive starring Ryan Gosling. It is that movie redone with a Guardians of the Galaxy a soundtrack. Baby, which is weird. And a baby, weirdly. Uh, so, and I, I watched it again with, I gave it a second viewing to see if I still felt the same way. 
and I watch it. What I what I always like to do in these cases when I feel like I have a controversial opinion on a movie, I don't like disliking movies that people like. I genuinely don't. I would rather get along with everyone. Um, so I don't. I take no pleasure in being like I didn't like Baby Driver because I've had friends tell me it's their number one movie of the year and they love it so mm. much and it brought them happiness and joy and I'm happy for that. But you know what? I, my test is I watch it again with Scott. Um, because I respect his opinion and he doesn't, he does not at all always agree with me. And, um, and so we watched it and he was like, yeah, he's like shrug, you know, he was like, that's, it's, it's fine. You know, it's entertaining. It's fast paced, I guess there's, you know, car (laughs) scenes and whatever, but, um, but it's just like, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. It's just an unremarkable just kind of like, you know, cool, stylish, fun, but like not remarkable action car movie. It's also, it might be the final ever appearance of Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Yeah. Uh, so nothing, nothing exciting about that. Uh, so yeah, Baby Driver to me was just an overrated standard movie. And, yeah. uh, and I was not wild about it. Ansel Elgort. Yes. What a shame. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah. What else we have? What's next on the list? Moving on, we have Colossal. Ooh, this one I put on the list for sure. I know that we were looking forward to seeing this movie. Uh, this is the one with... Um, Anne Hathaway. This is the one where Anne Hathaway discovers that she controls a monster in Korea, and in South Korea, and um, and hilarious consequences ensue. Except that they don't. <laughs> right. Uh, it's just a weird, this is a misbegotten uh, sort of parable uh, movie where you sign up thinking you're about to watch this sort of like hilarious comedy about, you know, this like drunk hot mess of a lady mm-hmm. who is, uh, you know, who has this monster avatar, what a which way. sounds, it's so ripe for a comedy. We were, I don't know. This may have been a combination of... Um, uh, trailer editing and mm-hmm. our own hype because yes. we were both like this, this is like right in the in the mm-hmm. in the wheelhouse of things that we think are so funny. Yeah, but then what we didn't know, <clears throat> but then what we didn't know is that for the director, this was a serious story about addiction and toxic relationships. Which snooze fest? Put that in a different movie. I Separate know. these two things. Like, we already had... run with that monster avatar. And how that we already made Rachel getting married. Right, uh, exactly. You know, like we don't need that as a monster movie. And I don't feel comfortable having left seeing Jason Sudeikis as this uh, weird. Um, abusive character that unsettled me did it yeah did, did you find him likable before that i did yeah i mean i feel like he always plays assholes so i was like yep that tracks this one was a little much though he was really it almost was too good because he, he good. really has that like um guy next door like you buy it he, yeah the likable his arc in the movie is like chillingly convincing yeah, you're like we do all know that guy and like do. that and that is the gross like toxic asshole that is underneath that kind of like amiable surface help help anybody kind of kind of guy yeah, mm. yeah was, that was hard that was hard to watch yeah so there are things about colossal that are great but it's just a really uneven mishmash of genres and tones and if if the if it had committed to one or the other it could have been great but as it stands it's kind of just like what and, and now i feel like you you ruined that whole premise that could have been so good mm-hmm. um yeah and that's a bummer way so to go colossal colossal uh, next on our list is another movie that we just reviewed, which is Alexander Payne's Downsizing. Um, it's a, another one where maybe it's, um, I mean, the, the comedic cast set up 
Uh, the trailer cut was uh, really ripe for comedy, and the first part of the movie is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once again, we get a le- we get an unexpected lesson, yeah, uh, or a series of lessons, right. and I was not prepared to, or and didn't sign up to, yeah. to take. Right, you know, there's there's a heavy handed preachiness to this mm-hmm. movie uh, that is one of the reasons why it's on this end of the list and not in the top ten, uh, where other movies with similar sort of important lessons told them in ways that were more subtle and more earned. Uh, than this one. It, it's worth noting the downsizing, and I don't know if this was already the case when we taped our review of it last week, but it is the first movie in Alexander Payne's history to get a Rotten score hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, and deservedly so. Deservedly yeah. so. Uh, you know, this was a real crushing letdown. Um, you know, it has such a great cast. The premise is really fascinating. And they just screw the pooch on this one. Uh, it is, is not a film that I have enjoyed rewatching. And, uh, and you know, awards-wise, we still have, you know, there's a, a chance that Hong Chao will make it into the supporting category, despite the ongoing sort of controversy. The New York Times did a big piece on it around her character. Uh, so we'll see what comes of that. Maybe some visual effects, but maybe not, because really, there's not that much to the visual effects. I know, it's one gag that they keep rerunning. Yeah. So, uh, what a but, shame. Yeah, it's a real, yeah, it's it's really, and it's one of the most disappointing movies on this list. And because I have loved every Alexander Payne movie mm. until this one. And uh, and and also, it's one of the only um, sort of dense in Laura Dern's otherwise um, amazing year, because she's in this yeah. film as well. Although Jason Sudeikis is uh, two for two. <laughs> he is. He is. Way to go, Sudeikis. Our next movie on the list, and we swear, we're not trying to be trolls with this stuff. These are movies we genuinely were disappointed by, and this is definitely one of those ones where the... Um, the overabundance of praise for it made us feel even cooler about it. And that movie <laughs> is Dunkirk. Because again, I, you know, most disappointing doesn't mean worst. This, no. We're not saying these are the worst movies. I mean, some of them are. Yeah. Um, this one is not, I would not call it a worst movie by any stretch of, of, of the... No, no. It's phrase. just, it's just, it feels unremarkable. Yeah, it feels like a movie that you've seen before. I'm sure it's in 70 millimeter. And it has the um, stupid fucking Nolan time where it is needlessly chopped up into three different competing storylines that, that leaves you to be like, oh, when, when was that? It just like, it just, it just felt irresponsible for him as a filmmaker to take what should have been a story that stood on its own just from the humanity of it of what happens in it mm-hmm. and then throws this stupid fucking Nolan time wrench into it so that you have to like run out to the lobby with your friends afterward and be like so when was that happening and when was that happening and when did that guy show up here but then he was over here it's just like it's just it just felt weird and borderline inappropriate uh yeah. to do that with this story yeah it's like what are you what do you um Oh yeah, because it is a real story. Yeah. So let's not um, let's, just, yeah, just let's, let's, let's not be like a... fucking fanboy, like oh boy, isn't that cool? Like you know the cinema of dude bro of it all. Yeah, this isn't a game. No. People uh, died. Yes. Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> Come on, Nolan. This is why I hate this movie. It's the disrespect for the British Army that this director <laughs> takes just is I've had it. You know, it was the year of Dunkirk between this darkest hour and their finest. Their finest, yeah. Um, and uh, but and this is uh, I don't know if it's my least favorite of those three. I think Darkest Hour is probably my least favorite of those three. Their mm-hmm. finest, I love. Um, but yeah, this is just you know I I feel like this was overrated, and this would be bar none the most boring possible winner of Best Picture. Mm, yeah, could not yeah. get more boring than Dunkirk for Best Picture. Please don't let that happen. Um, and although it turns out Christopher Nolan, if he does get nominated for this. I was thinking, oh, God, please don't give him another nomination. Who gives a fuck? But, like, he's actually never been nominated for Best Director. 
So hmm. this would be his first nomination. So I guess I'm like, all right, fine. I wouldn't be mad if Nolan got a nomination. Yeah, I don't like that it's like a cumulative thing. Be... Yeah, no. I mean, like, I think even, you know, direction-wise, even though he also is the reason that it has the biggest flaw, which is its time structure, I think direction-wise, it is an impressive achievement, what he what he realizes in this movie. Mm, yeah. You know, and there are, there are a lot of genuinely just awe-inspiring um, sequences in this yeah. movie. Yeah, and I, I mean, the way that I, I the time thing is, is uh, unfortunate, but in the way that it gets split up into three different scales of experiences is also interesting. Like, it's a very, it's a solo experience, like a guy in a plane, and you have like a small group experience of the, the families in the boats, and then you have kind of this grand experience of all of these soldiers stranded on the, on the shore experiencing the same situation was interesting uh direct uh, direction wise mm-hmm. yeah. um so again, again not a terrible movie no. but it's a, it's a war movie yeah it is another war movie yeah we walked out of it and we shrugged yeah i mean i, I cried a little but you know <laughs> as i do raf loyalist um what's the oh next one God. on the list moving on to guardians of the galaxy 2 this one's on you this one's on me rebecca hasn't seen it um and i will take this moment to say that there were two uh, Marvel movies this year that very nearly cracked my top 10 and those were The Amazing Spider-Man and Thor Ragnarok. Oh, Thor Ragnarok was great. So was Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. I loved both of those movies so much. I would see Thor. Yeah, there's a, there's a needs to be a category for like Trip. Thor and Girls Trip. I know. Um, that uh, I oh, thought shit. about doing some sort of more genre specific breakdown. Yeah. Maybe next year. Uh, <laughs> but for this year, we're telling you, we love Girls Trip and we love Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And I also really love Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, though, almost makes me nervous about how much I love those two movies because mm-hmm. it is sort of, you know, kind of a, a lesson in how terribly wrong a sequel can go to a movie that was so enjoyable the first guardians movie is a classic of a genre and uh and then everything that was so effortless and delightful and buoyant and fun about the first movie is labored and forced and lifeless in the second one and granted thor ragnarok is a a sequel uh you know it's a continuation of the thor films but you know with a completely different filmmaker at the helm in taika Mm -hmm. waititi and so it felt like a reboot in a way because it changed so completely as you found out the hard way Mm, yeah when you went backwards when you went backwards backwards. watching the old thor movies um and uh but you know amazing spider-man is a a full-on reboot and uh and so it just Marvel's track record remains strong enough that I do have faith in the ongoing films that they're making. But Guardians 2 was a big, expensive blemish mm. on an otherwise uh, really, really incredible record. So uh, real, yeah, and I've, I've another one, I watched it again, and still I'm just like, Ugh, it's a chore to get through. It just is. I was mm. not a fan. That brings us to, and uh, this is another one Rebecca put on the list, and that is I, Tanya. I, Tanya, uh, we recently um, kind of broke this one down. Uh, I was so excited to see this movie. I think I almost uh, I cried it, at the trailer. I think it was our pick of the week still. Uh, yeah, I think probably. <laughs> um, but I found this movie to be incredibly disappointing. Um, I was expecting something that maybe took the subject matter maybe more seriously. Um, maybe had showed me something that I wasn't uh, expecting. Um, it... It's not that it's, again, this is a, the, another Dunkirk. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it. I was expecting top 10, you know, earth shattering with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a neon movie. 
Um, it had gotten a lot of hype, and I was just left wanting to go back and watch, as I've said before many times, that 30 for 30 about yeah. Tanya Harding. This is the movie I've had to watch the most this screener season. Um, I believe this one I've watched five times in the last week. And, uh, and I will say that it might be Stockholm Syndrome, but I've really come to love it. Okay. <laughs> um, I still think it has some problems. I think that I still don't like the breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. at all. Uh, no matter how many times I watch it, I still am annoyed and taken out of it by that. And there are several moments where it gets way too sort of arch and winky. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not someone who thinks that the the specific the specific choices it makes with depicting its domestic violence. I don't think they're inappropriate. I think they're wholly appropriate. I think that they're very unique, and I think it's a, a really important uh, sort of new vision of how you can depict that kind of thing. Um, and I think the performances are, by and large, fantastic. I think that I've come around to Margot Robbie, who, when I first watched it in TIFF, I was like, not crazy about her. I do think that it is actually a, an incredibly remarkable performance Allison Janney of course is great Sebastian Stan I think is one of the year's most undersung performances as Jeff Galuli uh, but you know I think that yeah it's it, it is it's not a total hit and uh, and I think there is some some confusion on the part of the filmmakers around like how much of it do they want it to be like a drop to gorgeous style comedy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how much of it do they want it mm-hmm. to be this sort of like seething expose on the way that we as a media consuming country systematically destroyed this this victim of abuse yeah yeah so it's a it's an it's an uneasy tension yeah and it shows in the film uh moving on to another uh female fronted vehicle that let down its protagonist the incredible jessica james yeah, I don't want to belabor this one too much because I feel like there's, you know, um, it's a misstep and there's an opportunity for uh, changes going forward. And, um, I think we both just uh, love love Jessica Williams a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have loved what she's done on The Daily Show and... and um, two Dope Queens. Mm-hmm, two Dope Queens. And we're really excited to see her um, tell this story um, mm-hmm. and lead this, this tale on yeah. uh, this Netflix movie. And we uh, we both left it really, really disappointed, really uh, disliking it. Yeah. And she's great in it. It's not her. Uh, it's just a wholly blah, mediocre shit fest of a rom-com. Mm-hmm. And it does her wrong. And it just, it's, it's, it's painful to know that this is going to be where her movie career will always start is in this leading role in this shitty movie. I mean, hopefully it will just, uh, you know, will be forgotten. And wherever she lands next will be, yeah. you know, seen as her takeoff point speaking of one woman shows our next movie is manifesto Mm. starring Kate blanchett (laughs) in a variety of roles uh reading uh famous uh speeches and essays uh by philosophical minds uh throughout time uh this one i don't know what we thought it was going to be because it was always going to be an experimental art piece i mean it started as an exhibition at like a gallery and Mm -hmm. then it was sort of just like turned into a movie should it have been probably Mm. not uh, you it's, know, it's it, like uh, it seems like something they would have uh, shown at the museum in the square. Yeah, yeah. 
This is uh, Kate Blanchett doing her Monkey Man um, performance. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, the best thing that came out of this was the uh, Tori Amos album uh, cover I did for you. Favorite thing that you've ever done. <laughs> that was great. This uh, but... movie is just wildly pretentious. I guess yep. their expectations were, um, in retrospect, that was on us. It probably was. And, uh, and it turns out that even Kate Blanchett cannot save a movie that is built so fundamentally on a pretentious idea like let's create you know an embodiment of all these different speeches from Karl Marx and and no it was just it's not a good idea and even Mm -hmm. Kate Blanchett couldn't make it into a watchable movie no you can't you can't turn these uh, speeches written as speeches into uh, any sort of like believable dialogue between or monologue given by one person I don't know the whole thing is just didn't work didn't work as an idea except that one part when they do the funeral uh, scene we had a really great time we uh, did mystery science theatering this one we did which is as good a time as any to mention that our low-key favorite movie of the year is the assignment as you all know of course we have not talked about on this episode but it goes without saying that that was our actual number one of the year on both lists (laughs) on both yeah well not not Mm -hmm. not disappointing it wasn't disappointing at all but is our no it's it's on our best of list and if we had a worse list obviously it's a horrible movie yeah how did we hear about it before it came out uh because i've seen it in toronto oh this was like a you found this one the assignment like yeah yeah Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in Toronto and then I brought it on home to mama. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> what a treat that was. Oh, uh, it was. Uh, moving on to another controversial pick uh, and the one that we have not yet reviewed, but will review fully next week, The Post. Mm, and this one I think is definitely a reaction to the hype. Yes. And I think I think it's the hype, but I think also even, I mean, sitting down to watch it, I wasn't thinking because, you know, this was screened for Rebecca and I a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause it was screened before film critic circle voting commenced because they wanted us to be able to see it, which the means embargo is up. it was, um, I, yeah, I think it's already, the reviews are running elsewhere. Um, but you know, and this isn't a full review, this is a capsule review, but, uh, you know, so it was, uh, you know, I think we, we sat down to watch it and I was not expecting it to be amazing because frankly, I don't ever expect Spielberg to be amazing. Um, but wow, like it was, it was so mediocre in a way that i am i am so like bewildered by the overwhelmingly positive critical response this movie has been getting i mean the only angle that that it makes sense is that it's it's getting response because currently um the newspaper industry and media journalism is under attack and And this is a shows an example of another time in american history where journalism was under attack from the from the oval office and um you know the lengths that these people went through these journalists went through to try to get out relevant important news stories um and and yes i think that's an important thing for everyone to realize Mm -hmm. um especially right now because it's such a such a huge you know uh war against specifically the media yeah um but like that could this could have been a documentary or yeah. something that could have told the story much better. This is oh, really a or, snooze fest. Or it could have told the story of the New York Times, which was the first newspaper yeah. to leak to have the Pentagon Papers printed. Yeah, and then it tells this sort of not especially interesting story about Catherine Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post, and her sort of struggle to decide whether or not to publish and her literal overnight development as a oh um, female hero. Like the 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 lengths that critics are going over to, to like bend over and kiss their own asses about like why this is somehow an empowering uplifting feminist story infuriating yeah infuriating this is just like this is what we're not going to do we are not going to sing the praises of a movie because of what it what it represents if, mm-hmm. if it's not good yeah and this is hacky 
It's cheesy. It hits every giant, obvious Spielberg-y moment you could think of. Especially when we've seen really amazing movies re- very recently about journalism. Like, like Spotlight. Uh, like Spotlight, um, which nailed it in a way mm-hmm. that didn't feel like it was telling you an important story about yeah. journalism. This is no Spotlight. Oh. And uh, and I, I hope that that SAG uh, snub bears out and that this is not win Best Picture. Because if Best Picture comes down to this and Dunkirk... Wow. What a depressing year it'll be. Oscar's so old. Yeah, right? So if we, uh, so we'll talk about that more next week. And that brings us to our final movie on our most disappointing list. Another one I don't think you saw, which is Suburbicon. Mm, I did not. Uh, and this is George Clooney directing a screenplay by the Coen brothers mm. and a film starring Matt Damon and not one, but two Julianne Moores wow. and Oscar Isaac. What could go wrong? Everything. Man, oh man, is this a mediocre snooze of a movie. Just a misbegotten, low-rent ripoff of, like, an episode of Fargo. Oh, wow. Um, and, it, you know, it continues to play in the most one of the most overworked sandboxes, which is, like, satires of American suburbia post-war. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're kidding. The picket fences were hiding imperfect lives? <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, it is just, it's, there's nothing to recommend about it. Um, and I say that despite the fact that, as it said, it has two Julianne Moores in it. Do you know how hard (laughs) it is for me to say, don't see a movie with two Julianne Moores in it? It goes against everything you believe in. Oh my God. She's having a rough year because she was also in Hot Haynes Wonderstruck, which became his worst reviewed movie ever. Mm. Uh, so get back on top of it, Jules. We are looking to you. We need you. Uh, I guess she still has that Gloria Stein movie that she's uh, that she's making All and right. starring in. So we'll have to look forward to. But guys, that's it. That wraps it up. That's those, our. That's our. Uh, those are our picks for our best and most disappointing movies of the year. What do you think? Would you agree with us about what made you furious? Uh, let us know. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And uh, and as I said, to continuing to have this weekly time to fight for your amusement throughout 2018 thank you so much um be sure to subscribe if you like us on itunes or stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts and um jason is on twitter at excess baggage i am at fight balance thank you so much for listening bye guys bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there goes the binge. binge